Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. Joining us again today is Jorge Bonnet, founder of Pure Motion and five-time Olympian. And Jorge and I are going to be discussing martial arts-based uh, strength and conditioning. And Jorge draws a lot based on his own experiences as a martial arts athlete. So enjoy this episode. Jorge, welcome back to the podcast. It's always great when we get to talk and connect like this. I really appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure, Danny. You know that, um, you know, anything that I can do to 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 better, you know, the strength and conditioning community or uh, fitness in general, uh, you can count on me. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, today I really want to dive into your background in martial arts and discuss performance training and strength and conditioning for that. For people who didn't quite catch your bio, or maybe they missed the first podcast episode that we did together on Pure Motion, would you mind kind of filling them in and reminding them about your background in martial arts? Well, my uh, my life in, in combat sport, martial arts, started early on, uh, not really knowing it. I was bullied. You know, me and my brother, we are five brothers, one sister. I was five years old, and um, I was uh, bullied in the neighborhood, me and my brothers, and uh my father decided that it was, um, you know, necessary for us to take care of ourselves. And he's the one that introduced us to the sport of judo. Uh, that, that was 1970, 1971. So it just took about three or four months for us to, to learn the basics, to whip some ass in the neighborhood. And uh, I would say uh, earn the respect, maybe. Um, so it didn't end there. We started competing uh, locally, nationally. Uh, we were doing very well. Uh, we started even coming to the U.S. to compete to the in the uh, junior nationals, and uh, that was also a, a great experience. And from you know, as I, we got older, we got into middle school. And um, in Puerto Rico, if you go to once you go to middle school, high school, and there's a wrestling team, you and if you're a judoka, you will wrestle. That again, no no option. So uh, and then at the age of 15, um, that's when one of the biggest, I would say, uh, decisions in my life presented to be the, I was invited to be a part of the Puerto Rico national judo team. Uh, I had a choice to say yeah or nay. Um, I think, you know, the answer was of course, <laughs> yes. And, um, but it was, you know, today, you know, looking back, it's easy to tell the story, but, um, it was, um, it was only, you know, it was always, um, you know, hard and, and, and again, being a combat athlete, I mean, it's it's not a, a walk in the park. I mean, there's a lot of sacrifice, a lot of uh, consistency. But you know, uh, you get it. You have to be tough. Not only I'm not talking about physically tough, which you have to be physically tough, but man, mentally, mentally, and sometimes you have to even dig deep into your soul. You know, to to you know to decide. Okay, I'm gonna win this match, even though I'm so exhausted. Um, so. Combat athletes, I have learned that we are a, a different breed. I mean, uh, we are self-motivated. We don't need we don't need coaches whipping our asses, you know, to tell us what to do. Actually, uh, it's the opposite. Sometimes they have to pull the reins, you know, say, hold, hold on, hold it. You're going, you go, it's too much. You got, you know, you got to stop. Um, but it's that attitude, you know, of uh, being combative. You know, like, you know, you don't you don't rest until until the job is is not done. You know, that's and you know what. It's in our genes. It's in our genes because as human beings, I mean, we, you know, we are designed to fight. You know, it's part of what we do. It's part of, it's part of what I call one of, of the four foundational physical 
task. So, you know, as relate to strength and conditioning, because I mean, I don't want to deviate too much. Um, if I was not training in the uh, in the judo mat or the wrestling mat, uh, I was in, I was in the weight room. I was lifting, and uh, it wasn't until 1983, um, about that time, yes, that I was exposed to weightlifting uh, as a you know, and the reason was, okay, Jorge, you got to get stronger. You got to get more athletic. And I say, coño, coño, me damn. Coño, I'm already athletic. I mean, I'm already, you know, I'm, I'm part of the national team. Well, you got to get stronger. Okay, but do I, don't I get stronger by just doing the sport? No. Say, okay. So I just follow and listen to my coaches. And that's when I was introduced to the Olympic lift. And uh, that was my first, uh, I would say, uh, uh, how can I say, love-hate relationship with those lift. I already been, ex I was exposed already to the traditional barbell back squat, bench press, deadlift, and I already didn't really feel like, man, there's something wrong with this. But there it was Olympic lift. I said, I understood the rationale behind it, you know, to develop a triple extension, to be explosive. To, to, to accelerate. I said, okay. But I noticed that it was all vertical. It was all gravity-based. And I told my coach, you know, he's, he's a, today he's a PhD, he's a professor, and he was the Puerto Rico National Olympic lifting coach. Ramon, um, when am I supposed to perfect this movement? We've been doing this for six damn months. And by the way, it kind of hurt my, my wrist if I don't catch it right it hurt my shoulder if i don't catch it right and uh i don't need to hurt myself here if i'm going to be competing next year in the olympics you know they talk okay we'll take care of that i said we'll take care of that damn i mean that's not that's not really convincing but you know those experiences you know in the in the weight room you know in the olympic platform it made me start questioning how this relates to judo how this relates to wrestling, to grappling, to the combat athlete in general. You know, long, you know, fast forward till today, or, you know, well, 10 years ago, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. Other than, yeah, you produce force. There's, there, 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 there's rate of force production, there's force production. But other than that, no, you have to really uh, load heavy, heavy. So something of that will transfer to my sport just because you get you know getting stronger but in the wrong direction okay and on, and on top of that uh, i'm building collateral damage you know my wrist hurt my shoulder hurt you know and i was told well do some mobility on your wrist some mobility on your shoulder and i said are you fucking kidding me you're telling me that if i hammer my shoulder all i have to do is put a it's put maybe a band-aid or, or massage it and then go back and do it again. Well, that doesn't make any sense. So, but that was for me a huge motivation. And, well, and by the way, the same, the same with the back squat, you know, heavy back squat, heavy back squat. And then that same year at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, I got hurt. Why? Because we were chasing a damn PR, you know? <laughs> and everybody was celebrating but me because, I mean, I was hurt. Right. And I was I was told go to PT, and then um, 
you'll be fine. No, I'm not going to be fine. I need to be in practice in six hours, you know? So all that experience uh, started, you know, boiling in my mind, simmering in my mind. And uh, I have this motivation to start, okay, so this, this is not it. So what is it? Mm-hmm. What yeah. is it? And that was the seed that I planted in my mind back in the 80s and 90s. And, uh, and it took this long, you know, to, to find the answers, you know. So, so it, goes, it goes back to, you know, the concept of understanding the set principle and the concept of need analysis of the physical task or sport that a strength coach wants to do. Uh, or want, you know, a strength coach wants to train athletes. I mean, and I'm going to say this. If you are a strength coach that had first, you know, hands-on experience, first-hand experience as a grappler, as a combat athlete, as an MMA athlete, you have a huge advantage because you understand the sport from within, okay? You understand it, you know, like compared to this strength coach that never, never put a damn foot on the mat, okay? Or, or sing, never put a singlet or a gi and wants to train combat athlete, you know? Uh, you could. But uh, that's for me. It's I believe it's going to be a harder uh, task to 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 do. So so um, uh, before before I I I, uh, I continue. I mean I can feel that maybe you want to ask me something. So <laughs> yeah. I can go in multiple direction. So 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 I uh, I already know that you're definitely not a fan of what I'll co- call the traditional model to strength and conditioning uh, for the reasons that you outlined there before Jorge and you know plain and simple cookie cutter programs don't work for everyone there's a time and a place for you know just general fitness and checking general boxes however if your goal is to do something like you were talking about where you competed at the Olympic level in a sport like um, judo cup there you're not going to get there by doing the same basic things as everyone else you need something that's going to make you you know 1% better at your sport. And that 1% might not seem like a lot, but in reality, that makes a huge difference, right? And I believe it was uh, Ross Braun uh, who helped popularize the pit stop in NASCAR. And one of the things, they made some small tweaks and changes, and those tweaks and changes saved them a second on the pit stop. And most people, that wouldn't be anything, right? It's just a second. But in a sport like NASCAR or racing, that one second could mean the difference between winning and losing. And same thing from a training approach is your training approach matching what you want to do from a sport-specific demand, as you mentioned, specific adaptation to impose demand, could mean the difference of you winning and losing. That 1% difference could be all it takes to change the outcome of something. So yeah, and, I, as, yeah, I, I, as, sorry, as I already uh, outlined there, I know you're against the traditional Olympic lifting or barbell squat and that kind of stuff. So what should training for different martial arts disciplines look like in your opinion? You know, what movements should it feature and how should it differ for someone who's more of a striking athlete, upper extremity athlete, like maybe a boxer versus something that's a little bit more lower extremity dominant? All right. So, so first of all, I want to make clear, I'm not against the sport of Olympic lifting or the sport of power lifting. What I don't believe as 57 year old is that you don't need the Olympic lift 
or the powerlifting exercises, you know, powerlifting exercise, competitive exercises as a way to train every damn athlete. Completely that, is what, that is what we knew back then, okay? So, so again, today, today we, we know so much better, okay? The purpose of those lifts back then was to develop the triple extension. That was it. The triple extension and the bench press to develop, you know, that uh, upper, upper uh, push horizontal. That's it, okay? Like I said many times, those lifts those lifts were designed to win on the platform. There's no concern to train a combat athlete or any athlete at all. And those lifts are not, I'm gonna say it again, are not uh, 100% joint friendly. Okay? They will develop uh, collateral damage. Okay, And that will open the door. If you wanna stay there for the clinician to come in and treat the symptoms, and that is what is happening today. Okay, that is exactly what is happening today. And there's more, but that is, I would say, uh, uh, the center, you know, of the what I call the old playbook model. Okay, so, so there's an old playbook model. This guy, what's the opposite? The new playbook. The new playbook is, is in my mind, a stress and conditioning model that you can have it all. You can. You know, you can be athletic. Have strong. your cake and eat it too. You have the cake. Amen to that, Dana. You remember, <laughs> you can have the cake and eat it too. But how do you do that? How does it start? Well, there are good things that the conventional, the stress and condition, uh, the, the conventional stress and conditioning model have done. Okay, and number one is, for example, the concept of this set principle specific adaptation to impose demand that theory that concept still valid and 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 i use it i use it to even to even criticize the conventional model which is contradictory but if you look at the combat athletes you know the you know they are you need to understand what are you know what is what what is required what is required as relate to movement load direction on how you project that load and the intensity intensity think about energy systems you know um and and how heavy or you know how how light or heavy or slow fast okay so let's go to talk about these four topics you know the, you know what movements what load direction and intensity well if you want to really start answering this you know this simple question i mean what kind of movement load intensity and uh and direction you have to perform a need analysis and that is also uh, a requirement for any stress and conditioning coach that wants to train any athlete including a combat athlete so when you perform a need analysis for a grappler or striker what you're going to find in terms of uh, movement you're going to find a lot of pushing and pulling you're going to find a shitload of rotation. And like some coaches call it, you know, anti-rotation. For example, if I'm a judoka and I'm in the offense, I want to throw. So I'm in, I want to perform rotation because I want to slam the shit out of you. So I'm going to rotate and you're going to rotate. Okay. But if I'm on defense and you want to throw me, I don't want it to be thrown. So I need to resist rotation. Okay. So you need both. There's a lot of... Uh, squat patterns okay 
not much bilateral, but mostly unilateral stance. Okay, there, there uh, locomotion or gait motion, like you know, sprinting or whatnot, not much, not much. You just take step. You take step, but the steps are in multiple direction. Uh, let's go back on the squatting side. The squatting side, it's it's not necessarily vertical. Vertical could be some, but there are squat pattern. When I say squat pattern, I, I mean you know it could be a squat, a lunge, you know, a, a uh, athletic stance or stagger stance. Stagger stance is the most dominant. So if you look at those squat patterns, it can go. It, you know, they also are performing multiple uh, direction. So so, but again, the typical movement are the basic human movement for a combat athlete: push, pull. Rotation, squat, it's called a squat hip hinge patterns, and not much gait or locomotive, okay? You're just around a very tight space. When it comes to loading, you know, when it comes to different type of loads, well, most of the loading is going to be unilateral. You know, when you are fighting or you are, if you're a striker, either I don't care if you do a, a leg kick or you throw punches, you know, these punches, when you throw, it's more of a push. It's gonna be unilateral. You don't push with, you know, you don't punch with both hands at the same time. That look kind of sissy, you know. But a lot of the pushing and pulling is unilateral. A lot of the, the rotational stuff is unilateral. The squat hip hinge pattern is very much unilateral. You know, you ba you barely do a square athletic stance squat in, you know, in grappling. You know, there might be exception, but it's not the rule. And um. So, so most of the load is unilateral compared to bilateral. The direction of that load, you know, when you perform those movements, is rarely gravity-based or vertical, like a power lifter or Olympic lifter. Okay, you, you watch any wrestling, judo, jiu-jitsu, sambo, grappling, uh, uh, MMA, you barely see this athlete moving up and down. That means it's so more it's, of a horizontal vector as a result. That's part of it. Yeah, you're right. That's part of it. But see, now, now, now we go. Let's go to the specific adaptation to impose, impose demands. Why the hell are coaches have a lot of our combat athletes doing north-south lift? When if you perform an analysis, well, you're contradicting yourself. If your workouts are, let's say, more than 50% vertical in terms of force line. So you're right. You know, fighting, when you have somebody in front of you, most of, most of the pushing and pulling, I don't care if it's grappling or striking, it's horizontal and diagonal. You can throw a straight punch, that's horizontal. But a hook can be, you know, can be like, you know, it's a diagonal high-low. Or an uppercut, low, you know, low-high, diagonal. And every time you throw a punch or you throw somebody, guess what? There's rotation. There's rotation. Because rotation, when you throw somebody, I said it before, is the summation of a push and a pull. And if you don't understand that, throw somebody and you're going to feel that you're pulling on one side of the body and you're pushing on one side and the other side of the body. And more than likely, you need to perform some kind of a squat pattern to get, to, you know, to get below the opponent's center of mass to throw him. Okay? And that, you know, there's some throwing movement over the shoulder that the squat looks or the squat pattern looks bilateral, but the majority are unilateral. But you know what? But you know, but, or a combination thereof. Okay. 
So, so the lines of resistance, the force line, the force vectors are multi, 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 multi-vectorial. Some are linear, but in, in combat sport, is angular, angular uh, uh, force lines are more common, are more prevalent. So if you're strength and conditioning program, you're not performing, you're not strengthening angular motion, you are, you know, you helping, you helping the 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 the, the, uh, the opponent. And, and last but not, not least, look at the uh, let's look at the intensity variable. How how light, how heavy, or how how slow, how fast you're going to train. Well, in combat sport, you're going to have them all. You're going to have, for example, uh, you know, you have to exert a lot of force. Sometimes you have to be super explosive. Okay. Sometimes you're going to be acting kind of slow, but sometimes you have to act very fast. You, you need them all. You need them all. Okay. So, so um, when it comes to, let's say, on the, I'm going to talk about muscle contraction as related to intensity. Um, these days, I see a lot of, uh, you know, there's, there's this trend to isometric or eccentric, isometric and whatnot. And people ask me, Jorge, what do you think? And I said, you know what? The muscle can contract uh, concentric, eccentric, and isometric. So do it all. Do it all. And in sports, in combat sport, you know, but pretty much any sport, you're going to do them all. Okay, sometimes it's going to be more of a concentric contraction. Sometimes it's going to be more eccentric. Sometimes it's going to be an iso hole. When you are, you know, for example, as a grappler uh, myself, you know, I encountered myself many times in iso hole, you know, in, in, you know, just having my, my grip, you know. So, so you need to train, train them all. So trying to shift the needle to, to in favor more one versus the other, uh, why? Because I see, for example, I see a lot of strength coaches out there that they, they don't, you know, and again, they may, that's, this may not be their, they're not interested in, in, uh, in fighting or combat, but for them, the end all be all is to, it's all about isometrics, eccentrics. And um, I say, okay, but have you ever seen someone that trains slow all the time by just doing iso hole eccentrically? For too long, if you train slow, you're going to be slow. Okay, yeah. that's you know, it just it just a specific adaptation to impose demands. Okay, if you train slow, you're going to be slow. I went through that shit back in the '80s with the Nautilus uh, Fitness Company that they build all this equipment, and that's what they had me to do. I saw whole. I so this is not a, a freaking new concept. It's freaking old. Okay, that somebody put it back. And rebrand it and try to make it new. No, it's it's it's, it's old, okay. But are you gonna get strong? Yeah, you're gonna get strong in that point, at that point of the movement. For example, if you do a squat and you're just gonna hold, you know, hold it at that point, you know, and so you're gonna be strong just at that point, okay. But don't expect that by by some kind of magic, you know, that strength gain is gonna transfer to everything else. It doesn't. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Okay. Right. So, 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 so once you understand, you know, the requirements of the combat athlete through a neat analysis, and you discover, okay, these are the movement. This is the type of load. This is the direction I need to develop. 
or work on. And the intensity level needs to be, let's say, fight mode, okay, more in the anaerobic lactate uh, threshold, you know, in that phase, okay? So when it comes to movement, this is where, you know, the number one thing that I, that I um, uh, thought about, my first requirement was every movement that we do, it's going to be 100% joint friendly. So if I'm going to do a triple extension, explosive movement, it's not going to be the barbell power clean. It's going to be a movement that starts pretty much with having some kind of, you know, I'm sorry, it's going to be pretty much a, a, a body weight squat jump or a body weight box jump. And then once I understand the biomechanics of those body weight movement, then once I understand, once I understand where the low is being placed, then I can assign, okay, if I'm gonna perform this box jump on the, using external loads or this squat jump using external uh, loads, I need to develop a tool that will keep the integrity of my joints so they don't get hurt, but I still can load it. So at first look at dumbbells. Dumbbell was working fine until the dumbbell became too heavy, too big. So it was interfering with my range of motion. It was hitting, it was hitting me on the side. So I go, well, shit, you know, and the bands were okay, but I didn't like the variable resistance where it was getting heavier as I was, you know, I was, you know, landing on the, on the uh, box. So then I started looking at the trap bar. And I said, well, you know what? The trap bar have the same neutral grip. I mean, it doesn't hurt, you know, a power lifting invented, you know, because of, you know, because, it, you know, of pain, he was getting so, so, uh, uh, injured that he figured out that by, by keeping the low on the side, it would alleviate, you know, chronic pain, especially in the lower back. So I was looking at the trap bar and I said to my engineer, Stu, Stu, what about if uh, we take this trap bar, convert this into a uh, landmine attachment and change the grip to swivel handles? That was a big challenge. But, I, you know, the good thing about Stu and I is that we don't get influenced by the industry. That's why we are in Montevallo, Alabama. Who the fuck is going to be here judging us? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. It's, it's awesome. I love it. It's it, it just, you don't get people pointing fingers. You can't do it. You can't do it. Well, hell with you. I mean, I don't want to hear critics, you know, people telling me you can't do it. You know, I'll figure it out. You know, if I cannot do it, I'm, I'm going to conclude that. But I try. Anyway, we turned the trap bar into what is called today the CJ or the CJ2 lineman attachment, okay? Which is the first ever attachment designed to not only perform explosive uh, Olympic derivative or explosive lift by keeping uh, your joints uh, in its natural alignment, neutral, so, so you can build that triple extension, but it's, it goes beyond that, you know? It, uh, you know, it allows you to perform you know, uh, uh, push patterns, pull patterns, uh, squat patterns, uh, hip hinge patterns, that all of these movement patterns are 100% joint friendly. For example, you can, you know, the performing squat either on an athletic stance or a split stance, which more, more, more of a lunge, 
uh, I can change from a, a knee dominant, which is more squat pattern, to a hip hinge uh, dominant by just flexing and extending the hips. So the thing is that we apply that same mindset to every attachment, you know, that we develop for the landmine. Everything, here's, the, here's another way of saying the same thing. Everything needed to be user defined. The equipment no longer tells me how to adapt to it. No, I tell the equipment, you need to adapt to me. Right. You see? Right. And that's the big difference between weightlifting and the way pure motion use our equipment. With weightlifting, you have to adapt to the bar. That's why it's so complicated, so high skill, you know, and you don't have much room for, for, for air. So, and we applied that same concept, not only with the CJ or CJ2 alignment attachment, but also we did it with the, uh, the Warhammer, which is, again, an attachment that goes in the bar to do mostly unilateral movement. CJs, you can do more bilateral. The Warhammer, you can do more unilateral. You see, it goes back to that, to that second principle, you know, the load, bilateral, unilateral. Well, that's why the equipment was designed, all these attachments, is to help you make sure that you do all your pushing, pulling, rotation, uh, uh, squat patterns, you know, in, in, you know, using joint-friendly tools, you know, the same way you, you, it would feel if you do a body weight. And then the direction. The direction about uh, when it comes to the line, I love it. I mean, the reason why I'm obsessed with the line is because it brings, uh, not only brings, you know, not only incorporates gravity. And gravity, we know, again, is that a, uh, y-axis or the vertical gravity-based force line. Uh, and that's what weightlifters require. They just, they live in the north-south vertical gravity-based force line. Other than that, they're going to they're fall, so it's not required, you know? So, but for athletes outside the platform, not only we need gravity, we need friction, which is, you know, each that X horizontal axis and if you make it in your mind, you know, picture yourself the right triangle, the vertical axis is gravity. The X axis is the, you know, it's friction. So when you are projecting your body up and down between those two axes, you are, in, you are the, the, the hypotenuse, which is the resultant of those two force lines, which is the diagonal, diagonal force vector. The diagonal force vector it's presence every time you perform physical tasks outside the platform. Even when you walk, you are you are overcoming gravity and friction so you move move forward so you can walk. My God, when it comes to fighting, combat, you, you, you can't perform if you don't have those two forces. Okay? Gravity and friction. So yeah. So, so, so again, that another reason why for me, you know, conventional weightlifting to prepare combat athlete or any other athlete, it's not complete. You know, it's just not complete. Okay. So, so, so in, in, in line my training for me is way more superior because, you know, you have, you know, you have the natural movement that you can load. You can load using both bilateral, unilateral <laughs> and, 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 uh, and the direction of the force line you know, being diagonal, in, which incorporate those two natural force lines, natural, yeah, uh, gravity and friction. I mean, for me, the carryover to the sport of combat or any other sport, it's better. 
far better, more efficient. That's why I just, you know what? I used to do the you know, traditional lift, but once I found a better way, I said, why well, I want to go back? I really don't, unless, you know, if I am a practitioner of Olympic lifting and powerlifting, then, then, okay, then I keep doing it. But if I'm a combat athlete, I tell all of you guys, you don't need to do it. There are better ways. It's not that I, it's not that I, I, I did not invent the landmine. I didn't. Okay. It was, that was story next. I think that invented the, the landmine. I mean, I just went ahead and looked at it and, and I studied the science behind it, the biomechanics, the physics behind it. And that's why I designed all these tools. Right. There's one tool, and there's one tool that I haven't mentioned as relate to rotation that is a requirement in combat sports is the Omega. The Omega I, that's why I invented the Omega simply because, I, okay, I got the push, I got the pull, I got the squat pattern. But you know what? In judo, wrestling, I mean, we do a lot of throws. That's a lot of rotation. So, so that's why the Omega came about. You know, it, it was, you know, I said, I want to use, how much can I get out of the landmine? Can I rotate with the landmine? And the answer is a big damn yes. Is the best tool to, uh, to develop rotational strength? Uh, it's a tool, but, you know, it's not the only one. It's not the only one. I complement the Omega and the Omega 360 lineman attachment to do what we call the bird fight. Bird fight is like you're fighting with a bear, you know, side to side, twisting. Or, and then we do another movement called the uppercut. It literally looks like an uppercut. I mean, Lord, if I am a boxer, the Omega or the Omega 360 is meat and potato for me all day long, all day long. Okay, but again, you know, those tools are not, I'm going to, I'm going to be the first one to say they're not the end all be all, but are they more efficient than most of the conventional tools out there? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And that was not enough for me because I said, okay, when it comes to moving patterns, load, direction, intensity, if there's any other tools out there that I can use that are user-defined and um, it can give me the biggest bang for the buck, you know, in terms of uh, movement efficiency and time, time in the gym that will transfer to, to my combat uh, activities. Yes, there is. For example, the traditional old cable, adjustable cable machine, Lord. If there is a fitness equipment that the fitness industry, uh, uh, the fitness manufacturing um, has developed and nailed is the traditional waste stack adjustable cable machine. Those are badass. Those are badass. I mean, why? Because, you know, the fact that you can change the anchor point from high to low and anything in between, what is the, what is the, 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 the implication of that? Buddy, that you can change the force line, the force vector. You can make it diagonal ascending, diagonal uh, uh, ascending, descending, or horizontal. And you can apply those force lines to any of the basic movement that you do in combat. Push, pull, rotation, squat patterns, but the low now is horizontal. I mean, uh, more diagonal, I'm sorry, more diagonal. Okay, and that is more relevant in combat sport than vertical. And uh, what tools have we developed to en to enhance the cable machine? Well, that's what we ha we have. Uh, I developed what I call the the Cyclone 52. It's an attachment that take any cable machine, 
single stack, single stack cable machine into a functional trainer. It's just an attachment to turn your, you know, traditional cable machine into a functional trainer. I know what you're thinking, Jorge, but I don't have access to a cable machine. They use bands. Use elastic band, webbing bands, loop bands. I mean, they're portable, they're cheap. That's how I started it, in the basement of my house with bands, okay? And then, you know, I, um, I evolved. Another piece of equipment that is cheap, that you can also build a lot of strength and power and stamina is sleds, okay? Yes, I have my own, I designed my own sled and, they, and there's some specific features, but you can use any sled basically, okay? But it's a great way guys to, to build badass lower extremity strength, okay? Using, using that, people think it's horizontal. No, it's, 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 it's when you push the sled, the force line is diagonal, it's not horizontal. Look at the legs. Look at the legs in relationship to your hip, to your foot. That 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 leg is diagonal when you push it. Okay, and I go over the technique, but there's one technique that is out there that has been popularized because there's a lot of great social media marketers out there. Is the fucking Russian marching uh, uh, push sled. If you look at it, you know it's like okay. We only move like that when we are marching in front of the Russian, you know, uh, uh, prime minister or the North Korean leader. We don't, we don't even, we don't even fight like that. You know, I don't know who came up with that idea of pushing a slit so rigid, so stiff, but that's not the way to do it. If you really want to push the slit the right way. You, your your upper your upper extremity your your spine needs to be neutral uh, horizontal horizontal to the slit. You have to break at the hip, you know, flex the hip, and then your leg will be diagonal. Why? Because that's how you're going to maximize hip extension. That's how you're going to maximize hip extension. Yep. Okay, but you also you're also going to get quads and huge calf activation. I mean, I was going to say, oh, I don't have a sled. No problem. No problem. Uh, do you have a self-propelled treadmill? Uh, no. Okay. Let's do a Cuban style. Do you have a heel? Yes, I have heels. I got a lot of rolling heels. Unless you're in Florida, you are, I mean, you're fucked. If you're in Florida, it's all flat. But <laughs> if you are, yeah, I mean, if you look outside. Do you have rolling heels? Yes. Okay. For me, heels are, are the, one of the best uh, natural gyms out there. It's, a, it's an amazing way to develop strength, power, stamina, and not many people even use it. You know who used uh, heels for when he was a kid, a teenager, that made, he made it to the University of Georgia and became a badass um, um, football athlete in that MMA? Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker spent, you know, every day rolling, you know, sprinting on, on heels, okay? And he was not. A stress and conditioning coach. In contrast, Mike Tyson has no space. He was, he was in jail. He was in jail, working out in his cell. Mike Tyson used to do. I don't know, but you can Google it. Mike Tyson used to do, and I don't know if he still does today, between three and five thousand reps of body weight exercises. Again, Mike Tyson 
It's not a stress and conditioning coach. But what do they have in common? Simplicity of training. Uh, uh, you know, all you know. I'm going to say old school, but I'm also going to say that stress and conditioning is not that complicated as this country or the Western world wants to sell to us. It's understanding the principles of the human body, physiology, biomechanics, and the need and the need of the require physical task. Once you understand that guys, you are in the you're gonna be in the best position to train yourself or anybody else, regardless if you have the resources to buy equipment or not. I was we were talking about this Daniel before. I mean I was looking at I was doing a, a quick research study about Cuba, about Cuba and you know, how many, and why I was doing that. I don't know if you guys know, but you know, Cuba has one of the highest uh, number of Olympic medals uh, per population. I mean, these people are in the Caribbean, they are 11 million, and in 52 years, from 1968 to, to 2020, they have generated 223 Olympic medals. In that same time, the U.S. has accumulated 1,800 Olympic medals. You say, oh, we won, we won. Not so fast. Let's adjust for population because the U.S. is 300 million. Cuba is only 11. 300 versus 11. Let's adjust 1,800 Olympic medals to 223. When you do the math, the U.S. produced, in 52 years, we have produced one Olympic medal per three million people, okay? Cuba has produced one Olympic medal per 48,000 Cubans. That's shocking when I saw those numbers. That is damn shocking. How come a country with no resources Literally no resources. Oh, are you making that up? No, bullshit. I've been there twice in the 80s, and I've been in the gym, and it's literally a hole in the wall. Don't believe me? Google it. Google it. Cuban boxing team or Cuban boxing gym or, or judo. By the way, most of the medals come from uh, track and field, judo, and re wrestling, and boxing. Those are 80% of the 220. Okay, and then here we have the you know here we are in the U.S. We have so much resources, so much technology, and it takes so much for us to generate one medal. So let's put it this in in contrast: a country with high resources, high resources, but cannot produce the same level of metal adjusted to population, and here another country with no resources, but they are very efficient producing Olympic medal. So the question is, what's going on? Why is that? It's not technology, it's mindset. It's mindset. Does that mean that they know better? No, no. Because that's a lot, a lot of exercises that they do that is the same or are the same like the one that we do here, okay? 
Yep. Yeah. So when, so when, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, you've touched on so many amazing points thus far, Jorge, and I want to kind of review a few of them here. So you just recently touched on the fact that, you know, per population, the Cubans have won more Olympic medals per population than the U.S. Um, the U.S. has won more total, um, but per population, Cuba has more. And, you know, you mentioned that they don't necessarily have access to all of the latest and greatest technologies that are fairly commonplace in the U.S. So things like, you know, ability to measure barbell velocity during exercises and so on that way. Um, and I think, you know, that's a great point that, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of the methods that produce results have been time tested and continue to shine. And we don't necessarily always need the latest and greatest technology. We don't necessarily need to spend a hundred grand on outfitting our strength and conditioning gyms with force plates and the ability to measure barbell speed and so on in order to get results. It's great to have the data, but that's not necessarily an essential piece. Well, you I mean, some, talk... data, some data, Daniel, is, is important to have, mm -hmm. but it's like everything. I mean, sometimes we in the Western world, then what we do is, oh, okay, this is good, this is work. So now we're trying to do, we're trying to, to add then too much more, you know, and then mm -hmm. it becomes redundant. It becomes redundant. Having some data, having some basic technology, yes, I mean it's helpful. But you know, making, pretending that technology is going to replace the art of coaching and the desire to win, that mindset, you know, of, um, you know, that that. Nothing's going to stop you. I mean, uh, no, it's not. Technology is not. It's not going to replace that. Not at all. Right, right. And you also touched extensively on the need for rotation in martial arts sports, and I cannot agree with that more. Um, and I want to kind of dive into that a bit here briefly, and just kind of mention that you know rotation primarily comes from our subsystems. So I always emphasize the posterior oblique subsystem as the most important one. The lat and the connection of the lat to the glute max through the thoracolumbar fascia. I mean, those are the largest muscles in the body and their function is pretty simple. It's going to transmit force from your lower extremity to your upper extremity. And if you can't do that, then you're missing out on a ton of performance potential, especially in rotation-based sports such as martial arts. And naturally, as you mentioned earlier, the ability to train that is best in a single leg environment, not just for martial arts, but for other sports comparable to martial arts, you know, a single leg RDL variation where you have a cable holding or where you have a, a cable column held in the opposite hand is a great way to activate uh, contralateral lat to glute and really help that posterior oblique subsystem fire. And there's other uh, subsystems as well that also play an essential role in the martial arts athlete, um, I think the anterior oblique subsystem is very essential as well, comprised of the abdominal musculature and, uh, you know, depending on what model you look at, the adductors and the uh, serratus anterior as well. You know, I know the serratus anterior gets a lot of, we'll call it clout for being the boxer muscle because it protracts the scapula. But in reality, I think it's that posterior oblique subsystem that's transmitting the force from the lower extremity to the upper extremity that really shines there. The anterior, I see that as a bit of an armor builder. If you don't have good core stability and core strength, then you're not going to be able to take a punch. And as you mentioned, you know, a lot of these martial arts um, types of facilities, you really have to be able to 
have a strong mental fortitude and be willing to take a hit in order to continue to push forward and persevere. Uh, and you also touched briefly on, you know, the role of force under specific adaptation to impose demand. And you mentioned that isometric exercises are a tool, but you're only developing strength in that specific uh, position there. And I guess before we kind of wrap up here, I really want to get your thoughts on something like the application of like a contrast style training to martial arts. You know, is there a place for an approach where high force with low velocity followed by a low force with high velocity, a training approach like that could really shine uh, for martial arts? Oh, there's, or... Yeah, there's, I'm going to talk about uh, two things briefly. Number one, let's go about the rotation real quick. Uh, I, I love I love your your functional anatomy explanation to explain rotation, but uh, if I use the same lingo to my athletes, I'm I'm gonna they're gonna get lost. They get lost. They don't understand. You know what are you what are you talking about? So the way I explain rotation is, and we talk about this in the first podcast, is using the concept of uh, orbits. Okay, think about orbits, uh, specifically an atom. The atom, the the the, the nucleus is you, is the human being, is the individual, and the electron, the electron traveling around the nucleus is represent that rotational path, that angular motion. And, you know, there's, there, it's almost infinite. The direction of these orbits are almost infinite, but we recognize five, okay? Diagonal, left and right, horizontal, vertical, and lateral. You don't need to, you know, I'm not going to go through all the details, but it covers the basics of all rotation required for pretty much any sport and how to efficiently loaded without without using expensive machines okay ropes pulleys levers that's it that's all we use to, to load and load and load heavy now when it comes to contrast training you know yes you need you need to load sometimes you need to load you know pretty heavy and then contrast that with kind of light but more explosive that's that's how uh combat sports uh you know if it develops on, 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 on the match. And actually, that's how I usually set my workouts. My workouts, I'll give you a perfect example to explain contrast training and more and more. So I may go anywhere from 10 to 12 exercise or stations, all right? And in those, uh, and I always uh, select movement patterns that, because I want to follow a total body workout. Fighting is not just arms, legs, you know, and back, okay? Uh, no, it's the whole body, you know, engaged. So my workouts, I tend to be more total body. Some days, upper body dominant. Some days, lower body dominant. Or some days, more core dominant. Okay? But it's still total body. That's number one. About 10, 12 stations. Number two, I have a good mix of upper extremity. Upper extremity could be, you know, push-pull. And then I, I dissect even more to be either bilateral or unilateral. Okay? could be more push chest or push shoulder depends okay could be more real deltoid pull or more lat pull okay then i do um then after that i i will select some core exercises some my core exercises could be either uh rotational rotational intent or anti-rotation it just depends for example here's a here's a freebie for you guys instead of doing it instead of me doing a plank I do what I call a gator crawl. So basically I put a slider, you know, furniture sliders on my feet, one per foot. And then I crawl with my knees up, of course in a plank position, but I crawl from point A to point B. That's usually about hundred feet, okay? Talking about core strength, dynamic core strength, that's a perfect example. 
Um, but I'm also like, I like to do rotational movement standing on my feet with a bar. I, that's why I designed the Core 36 attached to the cable machine. And I perform rotational motion following any of the five orbits that I that we do. Some are combat specific, throwing. Some one are not. So, and some are more like uppercut specific. Okay, but I'm loading in the direction of the physical task or skill required. Okay, um, and then I, I'm always going to do some kind of lower extremity. My lower extremity is, for example, I look. Uh, I mean, I look at a joint to joint, uh, um, you know, uh, workout too. But for example, uh, I always like to train the hips. But I, I think about hip flexion, hip, hip extension. So I do, let's say, a hip extension. It could be. Uh, hip thrust, it could be uh, an RDL or even a sled. Sled, I, it can be uh, also hip dominant if I, you know, if I put myself in the right position. But another concept that I use is, you know, again, is that yin yang. If I'm going to do hip extension, I'm going to balance that with hip flexion. One of the reasons, guys, that we are so tight, you, not me, because I'm not tight at the, at the, uh, uh, the hip flexors anymore, is because you don't load it. You don't get strong with your hip flexor. You spend the whole time freaking stretching it. Stretching your hip flexors, you know, it, yeah, it's going to alleviate the symptoms at that moment. But the moment, you know, you need to perform a movement that requires your hip flexor to, to be involved, to fire, they might hurt. You know, you might hurt it because they're not strong enough. So instead of uh, stretching your hip flexor, like, what we, you know, that's another fad going on these days. Why the fuck we are spending time stretching the hip flexors? I promise you, treat the hip flexor like your hip extensors. You love, you love to strengthen your hip extensors. Do the same for the hip flexors. And I guarantee you that you will no longer need to worry about spending extra time stretching a muscle that is begging you to strengthen it. Okay? So... But back to lower extremity, I love to do um, strength in my, my lower extremity using gate motion or locomotive motion. And sled usually is one of those stations. Sometimes I mix it up with heels, and you know, and I do a lot of multiple drills, not just sprinting up and walking down. Uh-uh. There's a shitload of drills, and I maximize resistance on the way up, and I use the downward as resistance to also strengthen uh, uh my, my lower extremity. So, and then uh, another uh, other exercise that I pick in those 10, 12 stations is anything that is uh, knee, knee dominant, either knee flexion or knee extension. Knee flexion, which is again, just like the hip flexors, hamstring tend to get tight a lot for the same reason your hip flexors get tight because they're not strong enough. So thinking about, you know, spending more time strengthening your, uh, your hamstring like you love to do your quads, you know, it's going to move you in the right direction. And the last but not least, when it comes to lower extremity, the way my approach to strengthen the lower body is around ankle joint function. I like to perform the triple extension in angles where my ankle is in dorsiflexion, plantar flexion, Aversion, inversion, in addition to neutral. When you start squatting that way, around those angles, you leave no gaps. It's a way to, to, to fill the gaps, okay, if that makes sense. 
So, so again, I try to, I know you asked me a question about contrast training, but I think, you know, I, I get so passionate and I want to answer that and add more. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that about you, Jorge. As we start to wrap up here, do you have any kind of closing thoughts or closing remarks for people in regards to martial arts and PT or uh, and strength and conditioning considerations for martial arts? There, there, there's no magic pill. That, that's number one, you know. Uh, uh, there's, you can train, and this is the problem that I see uh, with most combat athletes. We start training without having direction of what we're trying to do. We think that by just training very hard and then finish with our backs on the floor, all exhausted, that that's going to guarantee success. No, not these days, not these days. The other thought I want I wanted to to add is, you know, following that thought is understand basic human movements, basic biomechanics. You know, understand that there's more than just Bible training. That's no longer necessary uh, uh, these days. There are affordable tools out there that you can use to elevate your performance to be a combat athlete. If you are spending, if you feel like you are getting too sore and you're developing these chronic injuries, uh, especially outside the gym, that's a sign. Listen to your body. Your body knows more than your coach. Your body knows more than your coach. If you start listening more to your body, you're going to make more intelligent decisions when you talk to your coach. And I'm sure that if this is a great coach, He's going to help you find the answers. We have, again, we have tools today to make you a better grappler, a better judoka, jujitsu, uh, sambo, MMA, Muay Thai, boxer. Okay? And no, these tools are not expensive. They're not. You know, the programming doesn't need to be so lengthy. The programming today, you know, is, is, there are programs out there that you don't need to do extra work before and extra work after. Okay. And let me go back when I said, listen to your body. If you're, I'm going to, your hips are tight. If your hamstrings are tight, if your shoulders are sore, those are signs. Those are signs that something needs to change. That is my best advice for today, Danny. Jorge, it's always a pleasure working with you. I really appreciate your time. And for people listening, we're going to link to Pure Motion and all of that awesome stuff that Jorge puts out and all those awesome products that Jorge mentioned before. So if you want to check that out, and I will be sure to include the coupon code right when we release it this time, as opposed to waiting a couple extra days. That was my bad last time. Jorge, it's always oh, oh, uh, One more thing, Danny. I'm, I'm sorry. I just remembered the one thing. Uh, um, in case you were thinking about, we are going to be releasing the Pure Motion uh, course or the Pure Motion method online courses. So, so anybody who is interested to to really dive into the Pure Motion method, uh, they can learn it, you know, on demand. And uh, and um, you know, one thing that I wanted to make sure is that it's affordable. So, so you know, any combat athlete or coach, you know, anywhere in the world can 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 access it. That's awesome. We will link to that when it becomes available as well Jorge always a pleasure thanks again thanks again bye-bye Daniel thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast 
If you've liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.